Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Shalom from Jerusalem. This is Watchman Talk, a series of conversations with Israeli military, security, intelligence, and diplomatic experts and practitioners. And our guest for a second part is uh, Ambassador Itzhak Lebanon, Isaac uh, Cohen. Uh, thank you for coming and staying. Thank you for having me here, Amir. Now, um, as you write in uh, your own book and as your uh, late mother uh, wrote, she was the so-called Matahari of uh, the Middle East, or at least of Israel's uh, efforts within Lebanon. And she spent uh, five very difficult years uh, in prison, 1962 to- Six. Six years, yes. It's very easy for someone from outside to say, 62 to 67, these are five years. No, if you are inside or outside trying to get your mother out, it's uh, six years. So in 1967, you manage uh, to um, immigrate uh, through Cyprus. What uh, was the welcoming uh, party here for you? Well, first of all, um, allow me you know, to go back one or two weeks before that, uh, because uh, for all this period when my mother was in prison and I worked very hard you know, to release her, we were in a kind of um, a vacuum, something, you know, very vague. We didn't know, by the way, if we will succeed or not until the Red Cross contacted me. One should uh, mention that uh, she was uh, first sentenced to death. Yes. And then it was commuted to, to, 20. to 20 years. When the Red Cross called me uh, to be candid, you know, at this stage, I thought that this is another charlatan, you know, who is, you know, trying uh, to fool me in this regard until I met the person. And he told me that, look, that's it. Your mother is going to be released. And when I went to the prison and she asked me, did you meet this guy? I said, yes. And this was the first time that she and I and my family, my brothers, my father, understood that that's it. She is going to be released. El and earlier, she only had uh, to communicate with you behind bars, by, by hand movements. Behind four bars. So I never saw her physically. I never saw my, my mother for six and a half years completely physically. I saw some, you know, silhouette. A, a, a vague silhouette. Or when she wanted, you know, uh, to show me something, um, it, it was still a silhouette. But when we came, you know, to that uh, uh, stage, you know, that we are going to release her, uh, there was some kind of uh, fight between the Lebanese and the Israelis. And finally, it was decided that she will cross the border in Rosh Hashanah, uh between Israel and Lebanon. 
and we, the whole family, will go to Cyprus. We join all together the next day in Ben Gurion Airport. This was the meeting after six and a half years that I we didn't see my mother or my sisters also didn't see her, and with my two brothers who were already in Israel since '49. So the meeting, the family meeting, uh, the kisses, the hugs, it was in Ben Gurion Airport. And you were not prepared for Israeli weather. You came with suit and tie. And with the James Bond bag, you know, I thought, you know, it's suitable to come to this country, you know, Israel, the, I mean, the country that everybody spoke about. I think that I should come down, you know, from the airport decently dressed. And it was, you know, a, a, a tie and a jacket. But um, very, very quickly, you know, I took it off and I said, look, you know, for August in Israel, you cannot bear any tie or something else. So this is the time where when we left Ben-Gurion Airport, we started our new life in Israel. And you were disappointed by the welcome. You, you uh, rightly uh, assumed that uh, your mother, uh, who was a genuine intelligence hero, would get the appropriate welcome. Um, but you found out that the bureaucrats uh, had other ideas. To be more precise, I was upset from one thing, that they have tried to fool her. It was this which, uh, which really make me mad, you know, completely. To rob her of her rights. Look, somebody is coming to a new country, he doesn't know everything. Sure. I didn't know everything. My family didn't know everything, and you rely on the people. And it was only that later on that he found out, wait a minute, something is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. Everything is wrong. So I was upset. Why to fool a lady which sacrificed her life and her family for an ideal which is called the state of Israel? But... By now, at least, you know that this is no conspiracy. This is bureaucracy. Well, I don't know. Uh, uh, what I know is that after they, everything was rectified, she lived, you know, really very nicely in Israel, and she continued to meet people and to make lectures and to continue, you know, with what she started. And to be, to be honored by the intelligence community. She was honored by all the awards and the medals in Israel, including... Uh, lightning, you know, the in 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 uh, in Herzl in uh, the Independence Day, but she got all the awards that you can mention in Israel. But also your late father, uh, who was told that uh, there is still a week missing between his uh, eligibility for some privilege. It was a social security. But let's talk about the book. Let's talk about your uh, service as depicted in the book. By now, yeah. our viewers uh, have already tasted uh, the book and will probably run away. I hope they still stay for our conversation before they run uh, for the bookstores. Uh, you, you first uh, went to work for Teddy Kolek, yes. uh, the legendary mayor of uh, uh, Jerusalem, who for almost 30 years uh, was the Lord Mayor of, of the city. And while he was uh, first elected in 1965, he uh, came to fame mostly after 1967 when he managed to also uh, develop the eastern uh, 
part, the Muslim part of the city. What was your experience in working with Teddy Kolek? Well, first of all, in my book, the first part, you know, that to close this chapter concerning my mother, I'm not repeating, you know, what my mother did. But yes, I try to describe how a young, a young boy, 14, 15, 16 years old, look, you know, at the situation. In, in the eyes of a, of, of a boy uh, living, you know, in that framework. When I came to Israel and I searched for work, I came, you know, to work with Teddy Kolek. For me, Teddy Kolek, until now, until today, uh, even, you know, he passed away. I worked with him three and a half years. Teddy Kolek is my mentor. My mother teach me how to take decisions on, let's say, the local level. Teddy Kolek teach me on the national level, how to take decisions. And this forged my personality when I left him and I went into the civil service in the foreign ministry. But it was Teddy Kolek from whom I, I learned a lot. You know, he was a kind of a diplomat. He was a kind of a pusher. He was a kind that he doesn't care about, you know, uh, formalities. Uh, formalities, whenever. He was something, you know, that you can do business with him. A force of nature. And I learned a lot from him. Actually, if I would like, uh, you know, to summarize who forged my character, it was my mother and Teddy. And at that time, you were still Isaac Cohen. I was Isaac Cohen all the time. But in Israel, you know, they start to call me Yitzhak, which is the Israeli name of Isaac or Isaac. And in the foreign ministry, I started, you know, to be Yitzhak. For the close friends and family, it was only Isaac. You know, the joke uh, that I always used to say that if you pick up the phone in Jerusalem and ask, you know, my father or my mother, is Yitzhak a home? They say, look, this is the wrong number. Now, uh, you are multilingual. Uh, um, obviously, uh, you speak Arabic, Hebrew, French, English, and Spanish, which yes. you, you studied for one of your uh, assignments. But uh, what language do you dream in? Hebrew. Hebrew. So now, no, because the subtitle is in Hebrew. <laughs> so no, I mean, look, I, I am almost 50 years here. I mean, that's it. It's, it's, it's completely consumed that I am Israeli, you know, by all means. So, so um, Teddy Kolek uh, liked you a lot and was hurt a lot by your decision yes. to leave him and yes. go. Uh, he was furious. He was furious. He told me, you will come back to me. And, you know, as uh, Felix, Felix was the guy, you know, who was the guard at the entrance of the municipality. I will not take you as Felix. He was furious. But we remained friends until he passed away. So you applied for the foreign uh, uh, service exam? Uh, Without having any intention to go there, yes. So why did you? A, a challenge? Yes. You know, a new immigrant coming from Lebanon, it was like five years or six years later. I wanted to know because they say, look, to join the foreign ministry is so difficult, so hard. I wanted to, because I had everything in, this, in, in, the, in the municipality. You know, I was working, I had, you know, there is no reason, you know, to leave that. But I wanted to know if I, my value, if, you know, if I can challenge, let's say, something which is completely difficult, but, and I did it. But before you left the municipality, before you left City Hall, 
You also took care of the eastern part of the city. You got always with him. Yes, with him. You you got to know the Palestinians. Uh, Not the Palestinians, the Eastern Arabs we living in East Jerusalem, yes. Aren't uh, they Palestinians? This is a different discussion. Okay. But so I'm talking about the residents you know, living in East Jerusalem, which was new after 67. The question is, growing up among Arabs in Beirut and now meeting other Arabs in Jerusalem, are these communities different? Between what? Israel and... and, and the Lebanese Arabs and those who live in either Palestine or Israel or Jerusalem? Yes. Not in the language, not in the culture, but in the daily behavior, because each one, you know, lives in a very, you know, uh, small uh, borough or let's say each one has his, his own neighborhood. social neighborhood. So it is a little bit different, you know, a different uh, customs uh, during the holidays or during the, the, the day by day. But basically, um, you know, you can manage. I manage very well, you know, to talk to them and to be friendly with them. And we did a lot of uh, things together. But if you combine the two experiences, before the age of 30, you came into the foreign service equipped with knowledge which almost no one uh, else had of two Arab communities in Lebanon and the one across the street from the foreign ministry. Did you expect uh, to be asked to serve as a Middle Eastern expert? This is what they told me when I joined the foreign minister, that I am suitable. Um, but again, I had some hesitations because I worked in the city hall. I mean, I, I was okay, I, have, I had everything. And I had, you know, to discuss uh, in the family, and it was, uh, again, my dear wife who told me, look, go for that. I asked uh, my father, and my father said, you are working in the city hall. You, can, you don't change something which is, which is certain uh, into something which is vague. You, you, I, had, you had tenure. Um, yes. I asked my mother, and she asked me, what is your dream, my son? I told her when I was in Beirut at the age of 14, together with all my friends, I told them that I would like to represent the state of Israel among the nations. Everybody laughed on me. My mother told me, my son, go for that. And this is how I joined the foreign ministry and I represented Israel among the nations. And your parents were proud of you. Uh... I guess so. So... Um, your first assignment uh, was far away? New York. New York? The first one was in New York during the Yom Kippur War. Uh, and it was also something which impressed me a lot in a negative way. Because this is the place where I saw and I felt the animosity. I don't want to use the word hatred. United Nations. Yes. Towards Israel. It was there. And I did understand. Yeah. Everybody ganging up on Israel. Yeah, but talking against Israel, the Jewish people, I, I say to myself, God, for God's sake, you know, what we did. I was a young cadet starting to make, you know, my first steps, you know, in the foreign service. And suddenly you have a huge hole that everybody is against. So this impressed me very much, uh, again, in a negative way. And uh, during the years in my service, I say, to a, I would not go to a multi, 
national organization like the United Nations. I hold it 30 years until I was sent as ambassador to Geneva. Because you don't want uh, to be outnumbered uh, 50 to 1, 100 to 1. Uh, when I was in Geneva, I faced them, yes. I struggled. But I had to be prepared. Then I was a young cadet, 30 years old, 29. And I was impressed, you know, by the, the hatred. I said, wait a minute. I mean, who, who, who needs that kind of thing? But the United Nations, uh, especially uh, the headquarters in New York, but also uh, in Geneva, Vienna, and other locations, this is um, a wonderful place for meetings and contacts, even with diplomats from countries um, with no uh, uh, relations with Israel, no formal relations. I see that you read my book. I confess. Yes, yes. This is the place where you can be in touch uh, with the people. But because, you know, you have the framework, you have the committees, you have the commissions, you have, you know, you are sitting, you know, in the same place. Uh, um, so the contact is easy, relatively easy. If the second part, you know, would like to be also in contact. But in all my efforts, I was not retracted or, you know, somebody say, no, I don't want to be in touch with you on the contrary. And this is how we develop some contacts, yes. So what is the difference, the, the substantial, real difference between political reporting of the sort you were doing, the contacts you established, and what Mossad is doing? Um, essentially, you did what your mother did. You uh, followed her in her uh, footsteps. But without the glory, which in popular fiction at least, is attached to Mossad and other intelligence organizations. Diplomats do the same work and for some reason do not have the same reputation. Look, when you are doing things, you are not looking for uh, glory or reputation or something like that. The difference um, in my mind is the paper. You know, how the Mossad write the paper and how we write the paper. Look, a diplomat, uh, uh, you know, he's not seeking only the information. We are seeking also the whole story, the whole picture, the whole image, to uh, to put the things into into perspective. So when I'm talking to you and you are telling me some information which is important, I would like to know how you get it. Who knows everything? You know that to have a full picture. The context. Not just, you know, a pure and simple information. And this is the work of a diplomat, to give Jerusalem or to give, you know, the, your superiors with a full picture because they can assess the country, the information, what you are doing in the framework. This is, this is different. But you also act under instructions. You want to shape policy on the other side, but you are told by Jerusalem, by headquarters, do this, don't do this. This is frustrating. Well, actually, if I will go back, I see whenever I ask for uh, the okay from Jerusalem, I, I, I don't remember that I was refused. Well, even, you know, when I wrote once, and this is not in the book, you see, you ask me to divulge some secrets. Uh, when I was uh, in Cairo, Yes, I, I ask, you know, if it's possible that we will start contact with the Muslim Brotherhood. What was the re response? Refuse. Refusal. 
Could it have been useful for Israel? Um, was there any chance of they of their uh, moderating the policy towards Israel? I don't know. I was once in Prague in one of the international forums and I met one of the leaders of the Muslim Brotherhood and he told me quite clearly uh, the instructions that we got from the Supreme Guide was not to engage with the Israelis. Uh, you probably know that uh, before uh, 1952, when King Farouk um, was still in charge, Israel had contacts with the uh, uh, Muslim Brotherhood in Cairo because Israel was against uh, the monarchy, Farouk uh, having joined the war against Israel. Look, I can, I can tell you, you know, what is my approach to all the things. I think that Israel should talk to everyone, even your enemies. Even, you know, to understand your enemy is enough. But I think that the kind of things that you say, look, I'm not going to take with this person or to talk to that person, I think this is the wrong approach. If I'm talking to the Muslim Brotherhood, doesn't mean that I accept, you know, all their perspectives, their thinking, all, all the doctrine. Completely no. But at least I can know with whom I'm talking. You know, when I talk to Amin Jumail several times, I never accept his approach. But at least I know the person. I know the, the uh, I know the body, uh, you know, uh, behavior. I know I know the person. But how far can you go um, in your preliminary uh, work, starting to send feelers before you meet the Muslim Brotherhood with an official sanction from Jerusalem? You have to cultivate the sort. The well, contact. this is this is the difference between a professional and a non-professional. You have to have the sense the feeling, because you are living in the place. You know the contact, you are reading the newspapers, sometimes you meet the people. So you have to cultivate some kind of, you know, a feeling, a sense of the situation. You don't jump into turbulent water because this is crazy. But if you see that there is a chance, but for take the, it. But for the initial contact, you don't need, or at least you don't ask for permission. You see, in my book, I am in the first page, and you can see it. I am mentioning Joanne Rivers. And I say I was clever enough to enter every door who was open to me. Every door which I saw it as opened for me, I entered. I mean, it was, it was uh, completely non-clever to jump into uh, you know, turbulent water without thinking twice. But you don't ask permission in order to knock on the door or to push the knob to see whether the door is open. This is uh, left for your discretion as a professional diplomat to know how far you can go. And obviously, your superiors in Jerusalem would claim that they uh, had no idea that you were doing it if it failed. Well, they never, you know, retracted from what I did because I received the okay. Uh, you know, when you meet and you have an idea and you see the possibility, uh, you ask, you know, for the uh, okay from Jerusalem. As I say before, uh, I, I, I never faced any refusal coming from Jerusalem. Before you were an ambassador, uh, you were uh, in a more junior position or positions uh, as a secretary, a counselor in the embassy, and uh, at least uh, one memorable time you had a difference of opinion with your ambassador, and both of you sent contradictory cables. What was the story? Well, 
It's in the book. It is in the book, indeed. Uh, well, this is, I think it is related to the character of Isaac Levin. Um, look, I can argue with you. I can accept what you say. I can refuse what you say. But I never accepted that somebody will dictate to me what to write or what to say. If you would like, do it by yourself. I was in contact with somebody, uh, a, a high officer in the Elysee in France uh, during the time of the President Mitterrand. And they told me about some steps that would be taken two or three days from the meeting. And apparently my superior in the embassy says, look, it is, it, it is illogical. And it had to do with the Middle East peace process. Yes, it is illogical, etc. And he says, why you wrote, you know, this cable? I say, look, if you would like to challenge me, write a different cable, your opinion and my opinion. And your name was signed to the first cable. Definitely. And exactly happened, you know, what I sent in my cable. He was furious, but, you know, we remained friends because he understood the value of uh, my stubbornness, quote, unquote. It was not against... It no. was, uh, sorry, it was, you know, that I was eager that this information were in Jerusalem as soon as possible. We only had, we only have two minutes uh, left. The, the problem with uh, Cairo, the, the uh, danger that you and the other Israelis uh, uh, felt um, after Mubarak was, was toppled during the Tahrir Square demonstrations, was that a time of real risk to your lives all? Look, I loved, I loved Egypt very much and Cairo. I think that this is a special city and this is a special country. But what happened uh, in September 2011, I'm talking exactly, you know, the uh, attack or the assault of the mob against our people in the embassy and what happened. And I was there, you know, for all this period. But you were at the residence. Yeah, because it was a Friday night, a Shabbat. This should never have happened in Egypt or elsewhere. This is something in the framework of the diplomatic relations should never happen. And this is why I was upset. How, but how do you explain it? Uh, now we have uh, 40 years of peace with Egypt. Is it only the ruling elite which is for peace? And if you go down to the popular level... It starts to go back into the popular with Abdel Fattah Sisi. And this is something very important. Just recently, you know, the day before yesterday, they sent me a picture of the Israeli orchestra, uh, which played for the Independence Day in Cairo. This is something new so the, and encouraging. So is there, just to, to sum it all up, is there hope for Israel to be accepted into the Middle Eastern Levant community? Yes. If we know how to behave, yes. How should we behave? To be part of this, of this region, to understand the mentality, not to sacrifice things, you know, for ideals which are, you know, uh, uh, impossible, you know, to realize. Uh, when you talk with the people at the level of the eyes, uh, yes, it is, it is and, possible. And to understand the concepts of respect and dignity. Yes, without leaving, you know, your uh, interest or something which belongs to you as the state of Israel or the Jewish people. Ambassador Ritzchak, Isaac Lebanon, thank you very much for, thank you. Thank you for, for two very, me. very informative conversations. And we will be back for another edition of Watchmen Talk very soon.
Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.